Last week we covered the first three chapters of uh, Genesis, which means we started with creation uh, before the earth, uh, before creation, the earth was formless and void. Uh, we, we learned that God created in six literal days, and then he rested on the seventh day, which is a great uh, example for us. We learned that Adam and Eve, as was just depicted in that video, they decided to take of the fruit, the one fruit that they weren't supposed to take from, which uh, fractured man's relationship with God forever. Um, but as we learn, let's see if I can find my notes here. Um, as we learned, there was a plan. There was a plan. There was always a plan for God to redeem humanity. And so for the rest of the Bible, we said last week that essentially from about here till about here, you see God working to get people back. And about here, you see God send Jesus, which is the ultimate good news. Um, but you're going to have to experience and walk through the entire Old Testament before you see Jesus. But little by little, through the story in the Old Testament, you see pictures of Jesus. In fact, if you notice in chapter 3 of Genesis, there's a moment where the Gospels actually preach for the first time, and it says that God is speaking to the serpent, right, or Satan, and he is saying to Satan, you will bruise Adam's heel, but he's going to crush your head. In other words, you're going to hurt him. Right? Satan has indefinitely hurt us. He, he deceives us, as he did with Adam and Eve. He, he hurts us, but we will eventually win um, with Jesus at the helm. Jesus wins because he crushes the head of Satan eventually. That was the first preaching of the gospel, and we are going to walk that out from here on out. Now, we're going to start in, uh, in Genesis chapter 6 today. We are going to skip for, straight from chapter 3, actually end, end of chapter 3 to 6. In chapter 4, you learn about Cain and Abel. There's lots to be learned in that story. Um, I will actually be writing, uh, one of the things that we want to do is we want to cover through the book of Genesis. If this is your first time, we're walking through the, bu the book of Genesis. This is our second week, and we're going to take about 20 weeks to walk through the entire book. That's actually pretty quick, considering there's 50 chapters. Um, and, and we, last week, covered three chapters. This week, we're covering three chapters. And I got to tell you, it's exhausting to think about covering three entire chapters of the Bible, especially last week being so, like, long, really, and detailed, that um, what we want to do is we want to provide historical context for the, the, the big story of Scripture. We, we've talked through church planning um, you know, through our church planning phase of life, that, that we are constantly meeting people who are like, I don't know anything about the Bible, and essentially it's because no one ever sat me down and talked to me about it. No one ever, no one ever answered my questions. If I had questions in church or in, with my family, they would be scoffed at, or they would be, it's not okay to ask questions. And we want this to be a safe place for you to say, I may not know anything about the Bible, um, but I'm coming to learn for the first time, and that's okay. And that's why we're starting in this book of Genesis, um, to see where, where it starts. Now, in order to do that, we want to get through the rest of the Bible, too, and so we're going to try to kind of speedily walk through it. So here's a couple tips on how to make this the best experience. I am going to put verses on the screen today, and against my better judgment, I put every verse that we're going to walk through on the screen it's going to be a lot of words, okay? So just bear with me. If that is your uh, favorite way to kind of 
follow along with the message, they'll be on the screen. We also have Bibles back at the Connect table if you want to look and read for yourself. Um, you can take one of those. If you don't have a Bible at home, those are free to take home. Um, that's our gift to you. So absolutely take one of those if you want to. Um, they're back there right now if you want to go grab one before we get started. Um, but also, if you would like to be... Um, a, a member of 2016 and get the Bible on your on your phone. There's an app called YouVersion, and I love YouVersion. It allows me to to read on the go. Unfortunately, <clears throat> we're in a bit of a a metal um, uh, shell, and so you may not have signal if you're an AT&T customer, if I have it correct. So there's Bibles back on the Connect table. <laughs> It'll be on the screen. So anyway, um, we 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 kicked off. Last week, like I said, was Genesis 1 through 3. Um, and I have to tell you, I am excited about walking through the Bible with you all. And I am not excited about this week because it's a hard story. Um, this, um, the, I, I try to read the Bible with a skeptic's eye sometimes to, to maybe try to see in, in the, into the future where people would have questions or try to poke holes in the story. And, and, and there is no you know, doubt that there are people who want to poke holes in the, in the Bible. Um, and the flood is, is one of the first and foremost. The creation story is up there at the top as well. A talking snake um, biting into a fruit that apparently ruins our relationship with God. Uh, a flood that would happen and, and, and kill everyone on the earth except for about eight people and a lot of animals. Um, there, there's just a lot to the story that if you're a skeptic, I get it. I get it. In fact, I was a skeptic for the first 16 years of my life growing up in church until God became real to me personally. And then I started to see how God is relating to us and showing us love and compassion and grace, not just in my personal life, but through the story of Scripture. But at the end of the day, it's hard to tell this story. So here's what I want to tell you before we begin. I recognize that this is a hard story, and I, I think there's a good ending. So, so follow with me to the end. Um, and, and if you are a skeptic, uh, you're welcome. You're welcome to ask questions for sure. Um, you're welcome to maybe take down notes. This, it would be a fantastic time if you're a skeptic to come to our small group on Thursday night where we're actually going to discuss portions of the sermon, okay? So if you're like, you know what, I think that story's, you know, a bunch of junk, bring it, you know, we'll talk about it. That's totally, totally Okay. Um, we want to we want to talk about it, and, and and I'm not a fan of blind faith anyway. If you're like, you know what, I haven't really read the Bible, but I trust Jesus. I don't believe in that. You know what I mean? I think you got to know something about what you believe in. You, so there's there's kind of a give and take with that. So carrying on from last week, we we are now about a thousand and fifty six years beyond where we were last week. Okay, so some time has passed generations have, have already gone, come and gone since Adam. Um, if you read through the, the book of Genesis, there are gene, ge, genealogies all over the place. There's, um, there's genealogy. There's obviously Cain and Abel. And then you learn in chapter, <clears throat> chapter 5 from Adam to Noah. You see exactly how you go from Adam to Noah. Uh, fun fact, there's a guy in that genealogy that just never died. Just never died. And, uh, and he, <laughs> he was taken up. You know, he's not still around. He was taken by God. The story, the story goes in verse uh, 21 of chapter 5. Enoch lived 65 years. He fathered Methuselah. Um, Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365. Um, and then Enoch walked with God, and then God took him. So 
there you go. I just find that interesting. That's not really important to the sermon, but I think it's important to know just because it's cool. So chapter 6, we are all the way down into Noah. Noah was 500 years old, um, and then Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So if you're pregnant and picking out baby names, don't forget Shem, Ham, and Japheth. They're, they're quality names. That's a joke. I'm not serious. Um, they're terrible names. Um, so chapter 6, you, you, you begin immediately... And you see that, that, that mankind is multiplied on the earth. And then we'll kick off in, in verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. All right, bad news. Just spoiler, it's bad news. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. It grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. You're going to learn, if you do, do some, some word study, that righteous meant he was just. In fact, um, he, was, he was justified before God. God saw him as someone who had faith. So he was a righteous man. He was also blameless, which meant he was complete, mature. Um, if you want to get kind of technical in the word, the, the word perfect is, is in the etymology there somewhere. Um, he's not perfect, as you're going to learn in Genesis 9. Okay, if you know the story, you know why that's funny. Um, but Noah walked with God, okay? So kind of a good story of someone that maybe we would follow today. Noah walked with God. He was blameless and he was righteous. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence. God saw the earth. Behold, it was corrupt for all flesh. Had corrupt, the word of corrupt is in there all the time. Had corrupted their way on the earth. God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it inside and out with pitch. Pitch is kind of like a, a tar-like substance that they would fill in the cracks so that it would, obviously gopher wood floats, but then they would cover it so that it wouldn't leak or, or the animals wouldn't kind of scratch out. Um, this is how you are to make it. Uh, 300 cubits, which is essentially 450 feet. Um, its breadth is 50 cubits. Um, so this would be, let's see, I wrote down 75 feet wide. And height, 30 cubits, it's about 45 feet tall. So you're going to learn that they make a roof for the ark, which is good because it's going to rain a lot in a minute. And finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with a lower, second, and third decks. Okay, so think about it this way. 45 feet high, three decks. You know, you might do some math and, and wager that maybe they're 15 feet high each each floor. There's three decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Um, <clears throat> before, before we get into that, I, I wanted to, to the, you know, one of, the, one of the things that people poke holes in, I just found this interesting. Uh, I googled what the tallest animal in the world is. Anyone want to take a wager at what that is? Giraffe. Giraffe, yeah. So giraffe, and this is just, listen, it's on the internet, so forgive me, I'm not a scientist. I, I just, I searched how tall do giraffes get, and it said they get up to 18 feet, like mature males. Um, so I thought that was interesting, and, and I, I'm sure that they built the ark in such a way that that neck could kind of poke out and get some room, you know. Um, but 18 feet tall, um, we see, so all the instructions have been given, 
Now, here's what's interesting is, is I love the end, the end of this. But I'll establish my covenant with you, okay? So he's, he's going to destroy the earth. He's going to kill all of flesh on, on the planet, um, except for those he decides to save on the ark and in the, in the waters, obviously. I will establish my covenant with you, though. You shall come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. This should be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come uh, to you to keep them alive. Also, with you take every sort of food that is eaten and stored up. It shall serve as food for you and food for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Now, I, I want to I kind of poke out the fact that Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him because to me, you know, we can skip past that quickly. We could skip past that, that, God, that, that God gave him orders, that God gave him specific details, and that he did all that he commanded him. This, this is why he's blameless and righteous, right? This is why he's justified before God, because the truth of the matter is that when God calls us to obey him, we sometimes want to buck that system. We saw last week, right? We've given you a buffet of fruit and of trees and of vegetation and all this kind of stuff. You're going to have dominion over the garden, over the animals and everything. Just listen, just leave that one tree alone. And they're like, sorry about you, I'm going to eat that fruit. You know, like we have this desire in us to, to buck the system. But Noah was different. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. The, the stories that I resonate with today are people that have faith, um, not just blind faith, not not. Um, not stupid, unwise faith, um, not people taking decisions that aren't around um, biblical wisdom and wise counsel, but people that take steps of faith because God commanded them to do it. Those are the people that are heroes to me. And here's what the Bible, I think, says clearly. This is kind of one of our big points today, is that Noah's faith, you know it was real because it was exemplified by his obedience. It was exemplified by, by his obedience. If you want to look at someone who has real faith, look at someone who listens to what God says and then they obey, right? And that's tough for us. That's tough for me. You know, when God says, I have a standard of living. We, we in 2016 in America were like, well, we've got a standard of living and ours is better than yours. You know, we, we tend to look at God and say, I don't know if you've been down here yet, but we've got like Wi-Fi and iPhone 6s and like we've figured this thing out. Like we can do it on our own. Um, but Noah is a picture of what was right, which was very also rare in that generation. And, and I would like to say today that I don't think we have many Noahs today. I don't think we have many Noahs. I, I think that we are... Uh, I think that we are seeing a similar thing happen to what happened in the garden when the serpent slithers up to Adam and Eve, or, or Eve specifically, and says, did God really command you not to eat the fruit? Right? He, he deceives her by kind of counterfeiting God's words. And then he will directly disobey God's word. And he said, no, God was wrong. We have to have more people in our day and age that are like Noah that would stand by their principle because what the Bible says is God's word to us and has commanded us a certain standard and that we wouldn't necessarily pick and choose if it was, if, as if it was a buffet line, but we would say, you know what, God's standard is our standard and I am going to live by that no matter what happens in this culture. And I think that we live in a culture that is a lot like 
you know, back then. I don't know what your standard is. Some people think that the world is good and getting better. I happen to think that it's bad and getting worse. Um, it's why I don't like to watch the news at night. Um, it's, it's why I am depressed when, when I learn about what's happening in the world. And even some of the good things happening in the world are, are underladen with, with cruel intentions and people profiting and things like that. It seems that to me, just, just to me, that the world is, is, is bad and getting worse. And, and when I look at the story of Noah, when I look at the story of 2016, I I'll, I want to be a Noah. You know what I mean? I want to be someone that, that is, is, is given a crazy, crazy commandment, right? Because, by the way, he lived in the desert and it hadn't rained yet, right? So, so you're going to build a boat. It's going to take you 120 years. Get started. Which, by the way, I, the, the, the first thing that popped into my brain here was, like, because I'm kind of a procrastinator and I like the pressure to give me some motivation. Like, 120 years, I'd be like, let me rest a minute, you know, a couple, you know, decades, and then I'll get started, you know. But 120 years, um, you know, he, he's given, and, and, and his faith was exemplified by his obedience. So the next passage, we're going to learn that the flood comes in chapter 7. Um, verse <clears throat> 1, the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of the clean animals um, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the, the male and his mate, the seven pairs of the birds, male and female, to keep their offspring alive for in seven days. So this is the seven-day warning. In seven days, I will send rain on the earth, 40 days, 40 nights, and everything living that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. There you see it again. Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. And then we see verse 6. Noah was 600 years old when the flood, wa flood of waters came upon the earth. Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood, of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground. Two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the floods came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day, here's all the detail, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth. The windows of the heavens were open. The rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On that very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind and all the livestock according to their kinds and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two, all the flesh. You see all the detail over and over and over again. Um, the flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased, bore up the ark. It rose high above the earth. This is interesting. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth. And the ark floated on the face of the waters. The waters prevailed so mightily that on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The water, waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep, which which. Uh, essentially 20, 22 feet um, above the mountains. So it's crazy as we were just singing that higher than the mountains that I face, um, there's this kind of parallel for me that um, God's provision for Noah and his family rose above the mountains, which I don't know. I, I, I could guess that, that, you know, put yourself in the, in, in the situation, put yourself on the earth. You know, there's, there's, a family of eight people that gets to get on this boat and, and the rest are, 
my guess, mocking Noah and his family the whole time, right? His sons all of a sudden are not winning any popularity contests. They're the weird kids. You know, they're building this boat. They've never seen a raindrop. They're, they're going to house all the, I mean, the, the, the amount of criticism that this story gets today is probably multiplied back then because it was happening right in front of them. And, and I imagine that as, as it starts to happen, as the rain starts to fall, as the waters start to burst up from the earth. Can, have you ever put yourself in a situation like the Christians in here have always thought like, I wonder what it's going to be like when prophecies start getting fulfilled, right? Which some would say that they're getting fulfilled right now in this season in our lives, that we're, that we're seeing some of those things. But, but to see like a prophecy fulfilled right in front of your eyes, there would be like a boost of confidence for some Christians that would come out and be like, see, I told you so, you know, there's this moment. But but I, I don't think that's Christian compassion coming out. I think that's this gusto that's not, I don't think Noah was excited. Uh, put yourself in this situation, right? Um, it says, um, I can't remember where it says, but it says that God shut the ark, it sh- he shut them in. And, and I can imagine that there are people mocking God, cursing God in that moment. But I can also imagine there are people knocking on the door. And it scares me to think about. And this, listen, this is the this is not your encouraging church, you know, like you know, it's it's tough to read. But the truth of the matter is, is that God sent multiple warnings. For 120 years specifically, Noah was out there building a boat and preaching repentance. But as far as we understand, eight people were close to God and the rest were only evil. And there, there the doors are closed. And my guess is that they hear the screams of the people outside as they're trying to get in. And, and I'm, I'm putting myself in the situation. If you are a thinking person and you're outside the boat in that moment, you're trying to get to high ground. And so there are families, there's women and children getting walked up mountains and and they see the waters rise, and I don't know what's going through their mind. I think that what they're thinking in that moment, if the, uh, granted, you know, it's not like Noah had Twitter where he could blast out, you know, preaching in a moment. I'm not sure how pervasive his preaching was, but to the people right around him who had heard his message, not only for 120 years, but probably years before that, right? Because before the flood waters came, before the prophecy of the flood ever came, he was a, bl- a blameless, righteous man at that point. There were, there were probably centuries of, of, of a man being a good example of faith, walked right out in front of them. And I'm sure people were on the top of mountains with their families, clinging on to their last bit of hope, knowing that it probably wasn't going to do anything, that they were just delaying the inevitable. The waters were going to rise. No one can swim for 40 days and 40 nights. The waters prevailed 150 days after that, so, so there's, there's no hope for anyone outside the ark. I'm sure some people are cursing God. I'm sure some people are climbing mountains. And, and, and the, the picture's no different from today. This is the scary thing. This is where I would say we need to be very cautious with our judgment of this story, but with our judgment of the story of God as well, because there are people cursing God and mocking God, although they've heard warnings, right? There, there are people today that are trying to climb the mountains 
in their own way. Climbing the mountains, meaning they're trying to get to God their own way. They're trying to save themselves their own way. They're trying to get to safety outside of the provision of the ark. And what God said a long time ago through Jesus in John is that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. And the ark was simply a picture of a coming Messiah, Jesus. Jesus is the ark for us, right? Jesus is the ark. Jesus died to save us, to pay for our sins. But we sometimes are like, no, we've, we've got it. We don't need your ark. We can do this on our own. And eventually those waters would rise. And, and it's, it's terribly sad to think about, but God gave warnings. God gave warnings. Then in Genesis 8, some good news. I think we're all ready for some good news. Genesis 8, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. God made a wind blow over the earth. The water subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens were restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of the 150 days, the water had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. We're still looking for the ark today, by the way. This is in the land of, like, say, Turkey in that area. Um, the waters continued to abate until the 10th month, and in the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. Right? This had to be good news. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is Ephesians 2. Like, this is the bad news, right, before the good news comes. Because you see that God remembered Noah, and there's this but God moment in, in Ephesians Years, years after Jesus was, was crucified, you were dead in the trespasses of your sins. This sounds so much like Noah's generation in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions, according to uh, the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Right? There's that but God moment. But God remembered Noah. Right? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he's loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. Why? By grace you've been saved. By grace you've been saved. He raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not by your own doing. It's by the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Let me, let me be specifically clear here. Yes, Noah was, was blameless and righteous, but he wasn't without sin. And today... God is not saying that you have to clean up before you come to him. It says, but God being rich in mercy, because the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. Romans 5 would say it this way. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. You know, like Christ died for us, even though we weren't, we weren't anything to, to, to die for. Right? We weren't worthy of that. But Jesus was the only one worthy to pay for our sins. Listen, constantly in the Old Testament, you see pictures of Jesus, and Jesus is the ark. And today, Jesus is calling us to call out to him, to, to reach out to him for, for salvation, not our own methods of salvation. 2 Peter 3.9 says it this way, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Um, 
Listen, that is, a, that is an unpopular thing to say in 2016. I know that. I, I'm, I'm very well acquainted with that. I'm, I'm afraid every day to speak truth in Scripture because it, it's labeled sometimes as a hate speech, you know, that, that there's absolute truth, that God is God and that we are not. I understand that that makes people uncomfortable today, but, but God is calling us to repentance, and these stories make us uncomfortable, but I believe that God is sending punishment down the road for those that don't repent. And the ark for us, the ark for us is Jesus. Now, I, I want to point one thing out because the, 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 the flood is going to recede and, and, and all that's good news. And then God is going to make a covenant with Noah. So Genesis 8, verse 20. Um, let me skip ahead a couple slides. <clears throat> then Noah built an altar to the Lord, took some of every clean animal, some of every clean bird, offered burnt offerings on the altar. This is the first thing he does when he walks off the boat. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So this is like, this is a big promise. This is a big promise. Because here's what we understand. That God has just said, I promise to never end, uh, you know, life as, as I've just done with a flood. And when I think about how the first thing that Moses does when he gets off the, the, the boat is that he creates an altar. I mean, I'm thinking like, take a walk, get as far away from animals as you can. This dude smells. Take a bath. You know, something. Something. Like, get out there, stretch your legs, like, kiss the ground. What is the first thing that you do? And, and I think that the fact that he builds an altar, and immediately, out of the little bit that he has, sacrifices, shows you his trust in God. Again, this man is constantly obeying and showing trust and faith in God. And, and, and what I noticed about this was, because I, I constantly hear stories about people that are praying, 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 and God answers. And there's this moment when, when you know the difference between someone who appreciates an answer prayer and someone who, who just kind of passes it by because Noah realizes that he has the only family living on earth. If it is up to humanity to make it, it's up to Noah and his family, right? Um, it's up to his sons and his sons' wives. And so immediately he realizes that they're the only family that's saved. And, and why? Because he was righteous and blameless? I don't think it was because he was righteous and blameless. I think that God noticed him. I think that God had favor on him. But God had favor on him. Listen, the word for favor there is grace, right? Today, we, none of us, we don't, we don't deserve grace, right? There may be righteous and blameless men among us today on this earth in this day and age, but, but we don't deserve anything. We don't deserve God's favor. He gives it to us because he's good, because he loves us. And so God has favor on us, and this is the difference between a man who understands the gravity of the situation and someone who doesn't. He gets off the boat, and he realizes, right, he sees, I mean, picture with me what he sees, because I don't know, like, I don't know if he's seeing carcasses. I don't mean to be crass, but I'm, picture with me what he sees. He steps off the boat, 
and he sets up an altar and he sacrifices before God. And in that next moment, in chapter 9, verse 11 to 13, it's interesting, there's a covenant made. I will establish my covenant with you, this is God, that never again shall flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I've set my bow in the cloud. It's, it's a rainbow, literally. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds of the, the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant be between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. God is clearly saying to us today that he's a promise maker and he's a promise keeper. You're going to see covenants all through Genesis, and, and really they're, they're important. They're important. We can't skip over these covenants because what, what God is doing is he's pointing to a, a future covenant with, with um, a blameless, innocent son that he would put on the cross that would make a new covenant for us that wouldn't require sacrifices anymore, that wouldn't require, you know, all the things that the Old Testament required, that he was constantly, constantly, constantly pointing to, to Jesus. And, and God had made a promise. God had made a promise to, to Adam and Eve. He's going to make a promise to, to Abraham in a couple weeks when we study Genesis 12 and 15. Um, he's going to make a covenant with, with future sons and who would become patriarchs of our faith. I don't know. I just, I just find it interesting that some of us may look at this story and think, wow, like how merciless is God that he would kill everything on the earth with a flood? I don't think he's merciless. I think he's merciful. I think that no one knew that. I think that, I think that when, when he was chosen, he was given favor and grace by God. I think that he knew that. And I think that extends to us today. I think that we have the chance to, to point our fingers that God created, right, back at God and say, you don't know. I, I know how to run my life. That's like when you create something. That's like if you were to create a chair, that the chair would look back up at you and say, no, I'm a refrigerator. Like that would be ridiculous, right? The, the creation does not have any right to look back at the creator and define what it's created for. Right? And so in this moment, we, we have this opportunity to say that God is merciless so that, he's got, that God is merciful. We've been sent warnings. I believe that. Um, frankly, I'm, I'm blown away that God made a promise to not destroy us again. Because here's what I know about me. I have spit in God's face multiple times. And one would be enough. One would be enough. Um, I'm, I'm surprised that in this day and age, when I watch the news that God is still giving us chances, second chances and third chances. And some people look at the news, some people look at the terrible things that are happening in this world and would say, how could God let this happen? And I'm looking at the story and I'm like, what do you mean? Like he's given us grace, he's given us second chances and third chances and fourth chances. And we're looking at him being like, no, I can do it on my own. The call today as we read scripture is to surrender, to repent. God's loving grace to ex extends to all of us today. Today. Like, 
And maybe because the sun is shining and because for the most part life is good, and I'm not saying that we don't have struggles or troubles or trials or temptations right now, but sometimes maybe because the waters aren't coming in on us, we don't have like this urgency to surrender our lives before God. But, but let, me, let me tell you, the story's been told, the warnings have been out there, that he is saying that we are not to do this life on our own. That he is Lord, he's the creator, he's the master, he's the king, and we are not. That's hard for some of us to hear, right? It's hard for me to hear because I wake up every day wanting to be king of my life. Right? I'll pick, I'll choose, I'll decide I'll be the king of my own life. I'm sovereign. I can take care of myself. Let me do it my way because my way is, is the best way. And, and God's gospel reminds the Christians today and the non-Christians that you have been given grace, right? That I love you. You don't have to do it your own way. There's a better way. The Bible points to it. Jesus points to it. Like Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. And you know what? He would say that his burden, right? Like all the burdens that we're trying to walk through this life with our own strength and power to shoulder it ourselves. Jesus says, give it to me. Like I'm the only one that can bear that. Why are you trying to do that yourself? I can tell you as someone who gave my life to Jesus at 16 years old, that if I were to be walking through this life with my burdens on my own shoulders, I couldn't handle it. I can't handle it. The burden of my sin alone is a weight that none of us can carry. And God said, I've got it. I, I sent my own son to die on the cross as a sacrifice for you. Please don't try to do this life on your own. Stop trying to climb the mountains. Get on the ark. I've created this for you. This is my plan. Stop running. I don't know where you are today, but i got to be honest. It's, it's, it, was, it was hard to study for this message, and it's hard, to, it's hard to preach it and proclaim it knowing that, you know, maybe people would disagree or, or whatever the situation is. But, I'm, but I'm, I, I've never been so solid in my life that God is loving and good, and he's extending his hand of grace to you today. So wherever you are, whatever you're walking through, lay it down. Surrender. Give God your worries, your struggles. Surrender your life to him. Let him be the author and the salvation of your faith. Because you, you can't be the author and salvation of your own faith. You're not God. Right? He is. And he loves you. And extends his grace to you today. Let's pray. God, Lord, there's, there's so many things that are hard to read about this story. But God, maybe the most beautiful thing is, is just to know that you always make a way of escape. Lord, your, your word says that, that there's, there's temptation that's going to come upon us, but you'll make a way of escape, that you're gracious, that you're good. I just want to take a minute to remember today that, that you sent your son, the ultimate sacrifice for us. I don't know that I could extend that kind of love to strangers, to people that would spit in my face. Thank you for that. Thank you that today we have a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth chance. But Lord, let us not walk away without first surrendering our lives to you. Lord, let us not walk away thinking, I'll take care of it tomorrow. I'll take care of it next week. I'll take care of it later. Lord, let us bow our knees to you in repentance and surrender. God, you are good. Right? You ask us that you don't you don't demand, you don't you don't you don't make us 
bow our knees. You give us the, the loving option to do that. You give us the freedom. Lord, I, I, am, I am begging you that today, Lord, everyone in this room, whether we're Christians or not, would bow our knees to you, the King and the Creator of this universe. Lord, we love you. It's in your name I pray. Amen.